Repetition can mean a lot of different things, right? So if a parent repeats themselves to their child, that can often mean that child's not listening, right? How many of you parents have had to repeat yourself over and over and over? I like, I get it. This, this morning, I get it. I know. Okay. Yeah, so we're there. Why don't we just talk about that for the rest of the morning? Like why that has to happen? Um, or maybe like a wife has to repeat herself over and over. I knew it was coming again, again, uh, over and over again to their husband, or maybe vice versa. Uh, that doesn't happen in our house. I just hear it happens in some houses. Um, so, you know, repetition can mean a lot of things. But now in literature, sometimes a theme or a word or a sentence, an idea repeats itself over and over. And by the time you get near the end, you see that repeating and you say, wow, that must be important. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen in our passage today. We are going to see something repeated. And for Mark, that's the key. That's the piece to pay attention to because it's going to open up a bigger, fuller meaning for exactly what's happening as Jesus takes another step to the cross. So we're going to pick up Mark chapter 15. We have three more sermons in the Gospel of Mark, so we are getting close to the end, close to the end. Mark chapter 15, we pick up with verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one whom you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Do you see the repetition? Three times, Mark makes sure to record that king of the Jews gets recorded in his narrative. There were a lot of other things being said. So much so that Mark says they were accusing him of many things. But Mark makes sure to repeat that one phrase that keeps, that keeps twirling in the trials. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Now in the next passage, from 16, verses 16 to 39 for next week, we're going to see king of the Jews or some form of it repeated three more times. That's six times in 32 verses. Now, 
That is a level of repetition we have not seen in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark is trying to tell us something. When something is that repeated, it's important. And Mark is wanting us to see the irony that Jesus, who will die because because of his radical claims, is really the very thing he is dying for. He is the king of the Jews. That's the thing Mark wants us to see, that he is king of the Jews. And he's making sure to put that truth in the, wor- in the mouths of all the unexpected people. And here you see it in the mouth of a Roman official. Not in the mouth of his disciples, not in the mouth of the chief priests, but in the mouth of a Roman official. Three times in this passage, king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king. This is the king everyone's been hoping for. But he is in the middle of a trial about to go to his death. So this is not a king anyone expected. And Mark wants us to see how unexpected this really is. And he does it by inserting a hyperlink. You know how when you read articles online and you have a link and that takes you somewhere else? Well, here there's a massive hyperlink inside of the story because there's one moment where where Mark makes sure to record that Pilate is amazed. It's the only time we read that Pilate was amazed, like he was taken off guard. It was that moment that we need to pay attention to. That's where this massive hyperlink is that takes us back to understand what in the world's going on in this trial. Take a look. It's here, Mark 15, 5. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Made no reply is a massive link back to a major passage in the Old Testament that is a description of this king who would come and save his people. And in that major passage, we read that when this king comes, when he suffers, he will say nothing. So when Jesus makes no reply in the middle of a passage that is declaring he is king, it's a link all the way back to this famous passage, Isaiah 53. Now, often I will take these larger passages and I'll try to condense them because there can be a lot to read. But I, we have to, at this point, feel the weight and the scope of that passage. So I want to read verses 4 through 12 in Isaiah 53. And I want you to hear, sense, feel the weight of what this king would do. Here we are, Isaiah 53. This, this passage is on the background in the trial. As we read it, Mark would want us to have this whole passage on the background. Almost like we're we're watching a play. And the background on stage is Isaiah 53. So everything happening on the stage is, is in front of. It is in the context of this passage right here. Isaiah 53. We'll pick up with verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not Open his mouth. There's the link. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. 
Do you see that? Three times right there, we have a reference to not opening his mouth. He made no reply. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All of it. That whole passage is sitting on the background as this play emerges at the trial in front of Pilate. Now, if we had to summarize all that, if we had to take Isaiah 53 and summarize it, I think this is what we would do like in our language. When Jesus remains silent before Pilate, He's living out his role as the servant king of the world. He took on the sin of the world so the world could be freed. That's what's happening right here in front of Pilate. He is the true servant king. No one thought a king would do this. What king gets inaugurated and goes to their death? But this king does because he serves the world. First, the Jews, and then all people, all nations. So, that sits on the background. So again, if we're watching this as a play, and that sits on the background on this screen behind the actors, what Mark wants to do next is to take the background screen on stage, and he wants to take it off the wall and put it on up front so everyone can see. He doesn't want it to be on the background anymore. So he brings that background, Isaiah 53, and he brings it to the forefront and he puts it into a story, a personal story, so that we understand how personal this text really is in his day. And what he does is he takes that background text and brings it to the forefront with that personal story of Barabbas. You see how Barabbas actually tells the story of the world? That's just so you can see it if we just put it in like, just a, a short slide, we'd say it this way, I think. Let's go to the next slide. Barabbas deserves to die, but Jesus dies in his place. Barabbas goes free. This is the story of everyone who follows Jesus, the servant king. We're going to go back to that other slide. This is what Jesus meant, I think, in Mark 10.45, when he said, and even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what's happening. That's what's happening when he is standing in front of Pilate. He literally is taking on the judgment of the world so the world could be free. And then so we don't miss the point, he puts that in a personal story. Let's go back to that slide, Barabbas, the slide with Barabbas. Barabbas actually deserves to die. He's a criminal. And who goes in his place? Jesus. And as these early Christians are reading this record of this account, don't think many of the early Christians were looking at Barabbas and saying, that's me. I'm Barabbas. And he stood in for me. 
And so that's all, all sitting here in the passage. And when Paul thinks on and reflects on this story, at one point in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, he said his, says it about as well as he says it anywhere else. He tells that story before Pilate, and he tells the story of Barabbas. He tells your story, my story, by writing this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the New Living Translation. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He took on what we deserve so that we could be free. That's the point. That's what Mark wants us to see. And then what he's going to do now is he's going to take that story and he's going to push it forward all the way to the crucifixion. And that's where we go next week. Now, what application could we make over all of this? Like, what, how do we get this down to, like, today, 2020? Well, I, got, I think it's a two, two-fold application. First, remember our story. I think we've got to remember our story. Like, I think we've got to remember that we are Barabbas. And this is always a good thing to do. Do you remember what we said in the Lord's Prayer? We said something like, who gets the honor? The Father gets the honor, not us. We said something like, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. We said something like, you give daily bread, I don't give the daily bread. And then we came to this section that we pray when we pray this prayer, and forgive us our sins. That's that moment where you remember that you're Barabbas. And we usually play the Barabbas part every day in some way. And so we ask God, Forgive us. And where does that forgiveness come from? It comes from the fact that a servant king came into the world and took our place to give us freedom. Because something had to happen. Some type of substitution had to happen. And it happens in Jesus. Now let's just take that and visualize it using the language that we get from that Isaiah 53 passage. Because he talks a lot about bearing, caring, crushing. Well, let's just put that in terms of weight. All right, so I'm going to have Ethan come up. All right, so I want you to imagine the weights on stage, okay? So Ethan, just come on up stage. And I want you to imagine all the sin, all the back talking, all the times you don't listen to your parents. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to them, all right? Um, that all of that sin eventually becomes a burden. Now, it's going to be a burden in multiple ways, right? Like you literally have to carry like the consequences of sin in this life, but but there is some type of eternal destiny. So there's going to be an account for your life. That you're just going to have to have that. That's just the nature of things. And so as we, as we put the weight on, and these are, uh, these are 8 pounds, so we're, we're now at 16 pounds. Uh, this, this isn't like light, right? Can you put that on? I mean, it's not light. I know you're going to tell me it is, but it really is not light, light, is it? Not as light as it could be. And so you carry this around. Now, you hike with this for 10 miles, that's going to get heavy. And eventually, you're going to have to come to terms with that weight. And so we're all carrying some kind of weight. Now, people that don't yet know Jesus intuitively understand the weight. And sometimes they ignore it until it finally hits them. Some people don't get hit with that weight until finally everything is revealed. And one day it will be. But this weight, someone's got to do something with this weight. Your body wasn't meant to carry 16 extra pounds like this all of a sudden. And so what Jesus does is says, I will take this weight, but not just I'll take it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to fill up the weight as far as it can go. 
and I'm going to go ahead and free you of it. And so when he goes to the cross, and as he stands in these trials, he's taking on every ounce of evil, and he puts more weight in his bag. And he adds 10 more pounds, and he puts that on. I don't know that my arms are small enough to get that strap. And he takes on more and more weight, and he says, I will take this. And actually, I'm going to take it, I'm going to beat it, and I'm going to remove it so that it doesn't exist anymore. The only way in this scenario that Ethan can live freely and hike another 10 miles without pain is if that was taken off of him. And it had to be done by somebody. It doesn't magically go away. Sin is, you are not allowed to just give up sin. That's just the nature of it. I wish it would be the case, right? You could just wave a magic wand. But that was going to require punishment, and so now I'll take the punishment, and I'm going to fill it up. And every ounce of evil, every ounce of sin, Jesus took it to the depth, all the way to death. Something we're going to talk about here soon, next week. And he says it's done. Now, this is our story. Like, this is a good story. Wouldn't you say? So now Ethan's free, right? But we have to remember this is our story. So Ethan, you're done for now. I think this will be it. Uh, Just imagine Ethan's still up here in a second. So... All the weight is gone. Now, the weight just didn't magically disappear. It had to be dealt with. And that's what Jesus does. So I just want you to, like, maybe put that mental picture in your mind. Like, number one, do you acknowledge you got weight? Do you acknowledge that, like, you are Barabbas and you still have your Barabbas moments? Like, that's the first step. Like, you're not good. You're not perfect. Wherever goodness is, it's because light is moving and shaping you because of Jesus. And so, you've got to remember, this is our story, and then you thank God that he took the weight. And let me tell you, if we all took 16 pounds and went hiking for 10 miles, you'd be thanking God for whoever took the weight off your back. You would. You're not, you may not feel it right now in a pew, but you would once you felt it. And why do some people love Jesus so much? Because they have carried a lot of weight in their life. And they carried a lot of guilt. And they were afraid of where all that was going to go. And someone said, actually, you were loved and was taken from you. And they say, really? Whoever that person is, I love them. Just like if that person came and took the weight off your back, you'd love whoever it is. Even if it was Mark, you'd love him for taking it off. (laughs) You prompted me earlier. I I just felt like I was inspired right there. Okay. I got new batteries. This thing ain't going nowhere. We got another two hours together. All right. (laughs) Okay. So there's this other piece of the story then that we have to remember, and that's the second part, is that we have to use our freedom for good. We use our freedom for good. I don't know what Barabbas did when he was freed. We just don't know that part of the story. But I do know that if you take the weight off of a person, like Ethan has that weight removed, you now expect Ethan to either move faster, go longer, or to do good with with that new freedom. And so we are called to take the freedom we have that we now no longer have to try to save ourselves. We no no longer have to wear these masks like we have it all together. You are free in Jesus. Now we have to go and do good. Let me just kind of take that and put it inside the Bible because sometimes there are these passages in the Bible that seem to be like, uh, you know, out of nowhere or where do they fit in the story. The Apostle Paul says exactly what we just said, and he says it in the letter of the Romans. And I want to tie two scriptures together to see exactly what we're saying right now. Now, I'm using the Living Bible. 
It's more a paraphrase than translation, but sometimes paraphrases grab the sense of the original language better than an actual literal translation. So let's grab it here. Romans 8, 3 and 4, he's just got done saying there's no condemnation in Christ. Then he says this, God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful and destroyed sin's control over us by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So now we can obey God's laws if we follow after the Holy Spirit and no longer obey the old evil nature within us. And then what he'll do is he's going to play that out and how that plays into the story of Israel. And then he's going to come back around in chapter 12 and he's going to take this idea and he's going to push it forward in some practical ways. Here's what he says. Romans 12, 7 through 9. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If God has given you money, be generous in helping others with it. If God has given you administrative ability, and put you in charge of the work of others, take the responsibility seriously. Those who offer comfort to the sorrowing should do so with Christian cheer. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. You know why he can write chapter 12? He can write chapter 12 because of Romans chapter 8. You are limited when you sit under the weight of your sin. The good news of Jesus is the Barabbas story. Although you deserve to die, although you deserve to to have have your sins brought to account, Jesus said, I'll take those so that you may be free and light can go out to the nations. And so that you can now love your children well, knowing that you don't have to fix everything. Knowing that when you mess up, you're still covered. This gets very practical in real life. So let's talk about the freedom as a next step. So how do you take your story and your freedom to do good and do something this week? Well, let me suggest this as a next step, that we can take this passage into this week. Do one thing for one person each day that benefits them. Let me be careful for anyone that's a legalist that wants to just keep the rules. This doesn't mean that you only have to do good to one person. And so if you do your good to your coworker and you get home and your spouse says, can you help me? You say, I'm so sorry. I have already done my one thing for my one person. Let's try tomorrow. That's not what we're talking about. We're just saying, think intentionally this week that because you are free and I am, (laughs) I could be free, um, that Because you are free in Jesus, you can do good to one person. Just do one thing for one person. And make it a conscious act. And do it because you are now free. And you don't have to carry your sins. And when you mess up tomorrow, Jesus will cover you. That's really good news. It becomes better news the more we realize that at some point, we won't breathe anymore in this body. And your life will have to come to an account. Well, that's just good news that when everything is revealed, Jesus will cover you and say, I got this one. He's part of my family. That's good news. So let's do good this week. Like to a real person, a real act, and make sure it benefits them. Now, I could go through all kinds of examples of what that is, but I have a feeling you can figure that out with the people around you. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to say thank you for all the love of sending your son who was crushed for our sin. We thank you that because of that, he let evil be hyper-focused, 
concentrated in one place, all the sin, all the evil in the world, and he beat it. And now the light of a new creation has been birthed in our world. Now we're free to love our friends, even love our enemies, to do good. So we thank you for the forgiveness of sins, and we forgive those who sin against us as you have forgiven us. And so now help us to put that into real life right where we are. And we're thankful for the story Mark has written. And we're thankful for the life Jesus lived. And we thank you for resurrection. We pray that all under his name who is alive right now, Jesus the Christ. And together we say, amen.